0: We are in our final week of our series called Afterlife, where we are looking at the question, what happens when you die? And week number one which just a couple of weeks ago. We simply looked at what the Bible had to say about death and, and uh, answered some of those questions. And three things that we learned about, about death, that the Bible has to say about death, is number one, that death is certain that all of us are going to die. I know that's not exciting news, but it's going to happen. Each of us has a time that we are appointed to die. The second thing that we learned about death is that the moment that we die, our soul separates from our body. Our body is placed in the ground. Our soul goes on in eternity somewhere. And the third thing that we learned about death is that after death, we we face judgment. And that judgment is the result of how we lived our life on this earth. Specifically, what did we do with Jesus? Did we make him the Lord of our life, or did we reject him and choose to live our own way. Last week we began looking into the two places that people go, or one of two places that people go in eternity, and we looked last week at what happens to Christians who die. And we learned that when a Christian dies that they're they're carried into their new home, they're carried by angels into their new home. They are immediately in the presence of Jesus. So if you've lost a loved one this morning and you know that they were a believer in Jesus Christ, they are in a much better place than you and I are today. So we rejoice over that and we have hope in that. And the third thing that we learn is that eventually they will get a new body. One day when Jesus comes back, their bodies will be resurrected, brand new bodies. Their, their spirit is going to reunite with, with their new glorified body and they will forever be with the Lord. And that's our hope this morning as Christians, is that we're longing for that day when we'll forever be with the Lord. Today, we're going to finish this series by looking at what happens to non-Christians who died what happens to non-believers and i'm going to give you the short answer up front and then we're going to unpack this the short answer when a when a non-believer dies the short answer is they go to hell now i know that's not encouraging i know that's not anything that we want to talk about in fact people people don't even they don't even want to mention the word hell just because you know the consequence or the reality or the dangers they just want to avoid the topic but this is something that we have to talk about Something that is needed uh, in conversation, we need to talk about this because a lot of times we like to pick and choose the topics that we want to hear in the Bible. you ever notice that? Well we 'll find something that's, um, that's meaningful to us or that's, that uh, is something that we can rally behind and promote. Yeah, I, I want to teach people about this when in reality, we, we need to be talking about the dangers of hell and the reality of hell, because here's why: statistics, and this is a recent statistic. Statistics show that only 74% of people believe in heaven, which I think that number is kind of staggering myself. But, but 54% of people, only 54% of Americans believe in hell. 54%, that's almost one out of every two uh, people don't believe that there's a hell. Now, I am not the devil. I hope I have convinced you of that over the years. But uh, if I were the devil one of my top priorities would, would be uh, to, to make people think that hell doesn't exist. And the reason for that is because unbelievers would reject Christ without any fear of any consequences at all. I mean, if there's no hell, what, what's, what's there to fear? And the second reason I would try to convince people that hell doesn't exist is because Christians would not be motivated to reach their lost friends. And both of those things are true today. Unbelievers don't, don't believe that there's a hell. They have no fear of rejecting Christ. They don't think that there's any consequences to that. And we Christians, and I say we because I, you know, I fall in this category from time to time, uh, we're not motivated to, to tell our lost friends about Jesus. And a large uh, part of that has to do with the fact that, that we, don't, we don't consider how horrible that hell really is. And if we knew how bad that that was and the, the, the consequences that that carry, I think that we would be a lot more motivated to reach our lost family, to reach our lost friends. So I think it's wise for us this morning to take some time and talk about hell, to get a better, understand, better understanding of the dangers and the reality of hell and what happens to people who go there. So let's, let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 16. Uh, we have been looking at this story for the last couple of weeks. Uh, This story is is told by Jesus and it gives us, it really paints a good picture of what happens to both believers and non-believers when they die. So we're going to look specifically at the words of Jesus this morning. Luke chapter 16 verse number 19 says this, Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. Now this is very important. It's a lot, all of that is important, but specifically I want to look at uh, the word purple there and then living each day in luxury. You may not know this, but back in, back in these days, if you wore purple, it, 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 it identified you as very wealthy or royalty. Uh, And the reason was because in order to make anything the color purple, it had to be Uh, infused with a certain dye that was very, very expensive. So if you saw purple, you automatically knew, man, that person's got some money because it was very, very expensive. And so this man, he's he's wearing purple. He's identified as royalty and he's living in luxury each day. He's eaten the, the best of foods. He's wearing the nicest of clothes. I mean, he is living life to the full. He is just spending all of his money on things that would please him now obviously his focus is on selfish and materialistic things I think we can kind of see that from this from this passage right here his focus is on uh, materialistic things and on things that would please him so let's keep that in mind as we keep reading verse number 20 at his gate at the rich man's gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who is covered with sores As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Now, I'm sure you're aware of this, but Jesus here is depicting uh, two external differences in, in these men. You have this one man who's living in luxury, who has the best of everything, and then you have this other man who is over here begging for crumbs from this rich man's table. Now, now, studies show that these wealthy people, this, especially this man here, it was very common that after they would finish dinner, they would take bread and scrub their hands. And the crumbs would fall to the floor. And then the servant's role would be to come and sweep up these crumbs and take those and throw them out the window or throw them out the gate. And poor people, beggars, would stand outside or sit outside in hopes that they could get just a few of these crumbs so that they could eat. Now, you can see the two extremes, the two different situations that are describing these two men. It kind of shows us that wealth and social status are not indications of spiritual standing with God. Aren't you thankful for that? This poor man, Lazarus, would, would, would then eat these scraps. And from this picture that Jesus is painting, it's obvious. Now, I know we're not supposed to judge, but it's pretty obvious that this rich man was not a not a uh, follower of Christ. He didn't believe in the Lord. Obviously, he wasn't living out the gospel, was he? He, wasn't, he was doing everything for himself. He was very selfish and didn't care anything about the poor man who was just outside his gate. So we have someone who is, who is not living the gospel versus this poor man who we're going to find out later, obviously, who was following the gospel, who was following the Lord. What happened to these two men when they died. Verse number 22. Finally the poor man died. And was carried by the angels to Abraham. This is what we learned last week. The rich man also died and was buried. And his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. Now I'm going to take just a few minutes right now. And and try to explain something to you the best that I can. Um. This can be very confusing, but it's very important that you hear what I'm about to say. Otherwise, you, you, a lot of people get confused and they don't understand um, the difference between heaven and hell and, and uh, how it is now versus how it was when, when Jesus was telling this story. When Jesus, at the time that Jesus was telling this story, obviously he had not yet gone to the cross, right? When Jesus goes to the cross, he, he pays the penalty for our sins, and makes a way, he provides access for people who believe in God to now go to heaven to be with the Lord. Before he goes to the cross, um, that access had not been granted. Okay, So what would happen was, uh, when people would die, whether they was a believer in God or a child of God, or they weren't a child of God, they would go to the underworld. The Bible calls it several things, as Sheol... Um, Hades or, or even hell. And, and, a lot, and this is where it's confusing because we think of hell as a, as a burning or as a, as a place where there's burning flames, and it is now. But at the time, hell or the underworld was divided into two different compartments or two different areas. And what would happen was um, when Old Testament saints, people who followed God, when they would die, they would go to the part of hell uh, that's called Abraham's bosom. It was a place of comfort. It wasn't a place of torment. It wasn't a place of anguish. It wasn't a place of suffering. It was a place of comfort. People who did not follow God would go to the place of torment. We see that from this story right here. But you have to keep this in mind. Otherwise, you get confused as to what heaven and hell are today. Now, the, the Old Testament saints, when they would die and they would go to this place of comfort in the underworld, they were in a place of comfort, but they were still being held hostage by hell 's powers they weren 't able to to be free they weren 't able to go and be with the lord so when when Jesus died on the cross, you, we know that he was dead for three days, his body 's in the grave, but his spirit goes to the underworld okay i don 't know if you 've ever heard this priest or, or read this or not, but this is in the Bible. you can read this His, his spirit goes to the underworld to preach to the Old Testament saints to show them that the God that they've been believing in, the Messiah that they've been waiting on, that He is Him. He is the one. I am the one. And so Jesus goes down to the underworld. He says, I'm going to the heart of the earth. Let me, let me read this to you in Matthew chapter number 12, verse 40. He says this, he says, For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, he says, so will I beware. In the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Okay, so so Jesus dies on the cross. His body's in the tomb. He goes to the underworld for three days and three nights. What is he doing down there? He's presenting himself as the Messiah. He's letting all the Old Testament saints see that, that the Messiah that they've been waiting on for that, that they've been waiting on is is here. That he is the one. He takes hell's gates and rips them off his hinges and sets all of these Old Testament saints free. And all of them who were now in this 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 paradise with Abraham now ascend with Jesus to the heaven where God is now, where Jesus is now. Let me show you this because y'all are. Some of y'all are looking at me like, oh my goodness, he has lost it. But Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8 says this, When Jesus ascended on high, he took many captives. These were all the Old Testament saints who died, believing in God, believing in one day a Messiah would come. Jesus goes down, sets them free, and takes them to paradise with him. So, now heaven has been relocated. Okay? Heaven is no longer in the underworld where, where, it was divided, where hell was divided in two compartments, the place of torment and the place of paradise. Jesus goes down, sets, those, sets the believers free, and moves heaven to God's presence. Does that make sense? Okay, so you have to keep that in mind. Otherwise, when you're reading this story, it, it, it doesn't make sense to you. So keep that in mind. Heaven has been moved. Uh, Now when, when we die, we don't go to a holding cell. We don't go to the place of Abraham. We go immediately into the presence of Jesus because he paid for our sins on the cross. So he moved paradise from the underworld to heaven. But before he goes to the cross, both unbelievers and believers were held in the underworld. Abraham's bosom, the unrighteous dead. Paradise, torment. Lazarus in this story is in the place of comfort. The rich man is in the place of torment. So let's take a closer look at this torment and what happens to unbelievers who die. Verse number 24, this rich man is in in hell, okay? He's He's in the part of hell where there's torment. And he says this, the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, okay? Keep in mind, there's two compartments at this time, two different areas. The rich man over in hell is shouting out to Father Abraham, have some pity and send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. He says, I am in anguish in these flames. If you're taking notes this morning, here's the first thing that we know happens to unbelievers when they die. They are immediately in a place of suffering. Immediately in a place of suffering. Just as as believers who die are immediately in the presence of the Lord, when an unbeliever dies, they are immediately in a place of suffering. A place of torment. And this is, this is the worst imaginable torment that you could think of. It's horrific torment. Matter of fact, we get a glimpse of how bad this is. We see the rich man calling out for Father Abraham to send Lazarus. Not to bring him a drink of water, but just a, a drop of water so that he could cool his tongue. This is obviously a place of unspeakable suffering. The rich man who is now in hell, who is now in a place of torment, is calling out for help. Let's keep reading. Verse 25. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember, watch this, that during your lifetime, in other words, while you were alive on earth, you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. Nothing. So now he is here being comforted. There's the place of comfort. And you are in anguish. Look at verse 26. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. There's a, there's a great divide that's separating the, these two areas that were in the underworld. There's a, there's a great gulf there, a great canyon that was, keeping, uh, that was separating the two. He says, no one can cross over to you from here. And no one can cross over to us from there. Here's the second thing that we know about unbelievers who die. Their fate is sealed. There's, there's no coming back. There's no second chance. There's no being reincarnated as something else to, to, to try to do better at life. To try to uh, be perfect. There's, there's no escape. There's, there's, no, there's no second chances. This is what... This is what Jesus is teaching in this story. That the rich man and, and, and Lazarus, rich man's in torment, Lazarus is in the place of comfort. There's, there's a great divide that, that can't cross over. The rich man can't get over there to them and, and, and Lazarus and Abraham and all the Old Testament saints can't get to where the rich man is. And if you die this morning without Jesus, that your fate is sealed. There, there are no second chances. You know, I think think a lot of times we joke about it. And and I told you in week number one, a lot of people joking about hell. And they think that, well, it's not that big a deal. And besides, if I go down there, you know, they'll probably kick me out for for selling ice water or kick me out for selling air conditioners or whatever. Friends, it's not going to be that way. It's a place of suffering. It's a place of torment. And it's a place where our fate will be sealed. Abraham was saying to to this rich man, watch this. He said, you had your chance while you were alive on this earth. You had a chance to make things right. You had a chance to, to change your eternity. But you lived a selfish life. You lived by your own standards and not by God's standards. You live for your own pleasure. He said, yes, you gained the whole world, but you lost your soul. Sounds like a scripture, huh? Sounds like a Toby Mac song. I don't want to gain the whole world, but lose my soul. And this is exactly what happened to the rich man. He had everything on this earth. Anything that he wanted, he had it. He gained the whole world, but he lost his soul. Now there's no escaping this suffering. His fate is now sealed. The the story continues. Verse number 27. The rich man says, but please, Father Abraham, please, at least send Lazarus to my father's home. For I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of what? This place of torment. Watch this. Very important. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. In other words, they've heard the word of God. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. Here's another thing that we know about unbelievers who die. They realize the truth. They realize the truth. The rich man here is saying, Please, Lazarus, if if, if you can't come to me at least go to my father's house because I have five brothers who need to be warned about this place. You see this, this rich man who probably didn't believe in hell, probably didn't believe in its existence. The moment that he gets there, immediately he realizes the truth. This place is real. This place, even though I didn't believe it exists, it exists. And I need someone to go and warn my family because I know that they don't believe that it exists either. And I promise you this morning that there are people today who don't believe in hell. I told you a while ago that 54% of Americans do not believe in hell. The moment that they die, immediately they are going to realize the truth, that this place is real, and this is a place of torment. And they will be begging for someone to go and warn their family so they don't end up in this exact same place this place of torment he's begging father abraham please send lazarus somebody to go preach to my family to warn them so that they won't end up in this place of torment abraham says no they they've had moses and and the prophets they they have the word of god they can read it for themselves and there's that's that speaks to us today that we have we have god's word but for whatever reason we we don't want to read it and if we do read it, like I said at the onset of the message, we want to pick and choose the topics that we study. I want something that, that's going to agree with the lifestyle that I'm living. So, so where is that found? We want to, we want to look at something that's, that's uh, positive, that's, in, that's encouraging to us. We want to look at something that's going to build our faith. But in reality, all, the Bible says that all Scripture, everybody say all Scripture. All Scripture was inspired by God and it was written for our learning. So that we would understand it, so that we would know, so that we could see the signs. Signs that, that give us invitation, signs that give us uh, information, and signs that give us warnings of things that are going to happen. All of us are going to be without excuse. I'm convinced that when many believers get to hell, they're going to say, but I didn't know. But at that point, it's going to be too late. There's no excuse. There's no excuse why, why someone today cannot know about Jesus and not know about The way that God has planned for them. And that heaven is real. And that hell is real. It's all written in scripture. God has warned us. All of us can read it for ourselves. Just like the rich man this morning. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. If you don't believe that hell is real. One day you will realize the truth. And at that point. It will be too late. Now. Now. If you think that everything that I've told you so far is 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 bad, and it is, let me tell you that it gets worse. It gets worse. Because what I've described so far is just the intermediate state. What I've described to you so far is just what happens from the time an unbeliever dies until the time they face their final judgment. Remember last week when I told you that when a believer dies, we immediately go into the presence of the Lord. It's our soul that goes to be at the presence of the Lord. But one day, Jesus is going to come back. Y- y'all remember, right? It's only been seven days. Jesus is going to come back. And at that point, there will be the first resurrection. We, we will get new bodies. And, and our bodies and our souls will rejoin and we'll forever be with the Lord. Okay, well, that's, that's an intermediate state. Yes, we're going to be in the presence of the Lord, but we won't have our glorified bodies until Jesus comes again. The same way it is with with people who die and go to hell they're in an intermediate state but one day jesus is going to come back and he's going to he's going to declare war on the armies of this world the armies of of god are going to fight there's going to be a a thousand years of peace jesus is going to establish his kingdom there will be a thousand years of peace called the millennial reign Uh, uh, at the end of this thousand years the devil will be loosed and and he'll be able to do things for a season. And then at the end of that, there'll be another war. And then God is going to have his final judgment. And at this final judgment is where people, the unbelievers, will be judged for their works and for the things that they did. And they will be cast into what is called the lake of fire. Let's read this. We find this in Revelations chapter 20, verses 13 and 15. It says this. This is at the final judgment. Now, this is only for unbelievers. Okay? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you will not be here at this judgment. Thank God for that, okay? Because we've already, we're, we're no longer, if we're in Jesus Christ, we're, we're, we're not judged because the judgment for our sin was put upon Jesus. So when we're in Christ Jesus, we there is no judgment for us. Now, we'll be judged for our works as far as like uh, at, the, at the judgment seat of Christ for the works that we did and and whether they were done with the right motives or not. And that, that's a whole other topic. But we will not be judged as to whether or not we're going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. Here's, here's, the, here's the, the great white throne judgment is what this judgment is. It's only for unbelievers. Here's what happens. It says, At this judgment, the sea gave up its dead and death in the grave. In other words, everyone who had died, whether, whether their bodies were buried in, in the ground or whether they would, had uh, been lost at sea, whatever... Death and grave gives up their bodies. And all were judged according to their deeds. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life, watch this, was thrown into the lake of fire. Now they've been in torment ever since they died until this final judgment. But now they're going to be thrown into this lake of fire. And just, I don't know what, what you think about that, but just the phrase of that sounds horrific. A lake of fire. Now, you, now you, some of you this morning may be thinking, why in the world does this place even exist? Why, why would a loving God create such a place? It doesn't seem fair. Well, first of all, who are we to say what is fair and what is not fair we we are just the creation god's the creator we're we're just the clay the the clay has no right to give the potter instructions god is the potter we're the clay what we think is fair and unfair we have no say so in that so I think, not think. I know that that sometimes we just need to come to the conclusion that, that God is God and we're not. We we don't we don't get to say so. We we're not the ones that created human beings. We're not the one who who created life and how it's supposed to work. So so we can't say what's fair and what's not fair. Secondly, we have to realize that hell was never created for human beings. It wasn't created for human beings. It was created to deal righteously with Satan and his demons. Now, this is really not in my notes, but I feel like I need to explain something here. There are, there are two types of free moral agents. There are humans and there are angels. In other words, these, these free moral agents, they have the right to the free will. They, they can make their own choices. The, what separates them, and you know Lucifer, which is Satan, he was an angel. What what separates them is that us human beings, we have temptation. We face temptation. Angels are not tempted. Satan made his choice to usurp God's authority. It's pride. There was was no temptation. He just wanted this, so he chose this willingly. That's why hell was created, to deal righteously with, with, with Satan and his demons. Because I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But there have been times when I felt sorry for the devil. Well, why, do, why doesn't he get the grace of God? Why can't he repent? Have you ever thought about that or is that just me? Just me? Well, maybe you should think about that, okay? Because if God's grace is really good, why wouldn't he forgive the, the devil? And what I just told you explains why. Because Satan makes that choice without temptation. He, 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 he doesn't want... To, to, to get God's forgiveness. He wants to be God. That's the difference. So that's why God created hell, to deal with Satan and his demons. Let me show you this in Scripture. Matthew 25, verse 41. It says, The king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire. That's very important. Eternity is how long? It's forever. Eternal fire. Who was it prepared for? Prepared for the devil and his Demons. Understand this, because a lot of people are going to ask, why would a loving God create hell? That's just not fair. You need to tell them. Hell was never created for human beings. It was created to deal righteously with the devil and his demons. Sin has to be paid for. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation for God. That's why Jesus died on the cross. To pay for my sins... But if I don't accept Jesus and the sacrifice that He made for my sins, then I have to pay for my own sins in hell. Do you understand that? In eternal punishment, eternal separation from God, that's what death means. The wages of sin is death. Eternal separations from God. If I don't choose what Jesus has done for me in paying for my sins, then I have to pay for them on my own. That's why... Th- there's several reasons why this message today is important, but one of the ones that we should be thankful for right now is we need to realize that Jesus has paid it all for us, that we, we don't have to fear death, we don't have to fear going to hell because our trust and our hope is in Jesus Christ and we know that God was pleased with His sacrifice and He says, yes, that is enough. You are the, the sacrificial lamb that, that paid the, the, the sin of all the world if people would just believe in you. When God sees us today, He sees us as righteous because He sees His Son, Christ Jesus a lot of people this morning would say, "Well, why would a loving God send someone to hell?" I don't know if you've ever heard that before. God doesn't send anyone to hell. If people end up in hell, it's because they chose the way that led to hell. God does not send anyone to hell. And you hear this so much, "Well, why would a love? I just can't believe in a loving God that would send someone to hell." God does not send people to hell. He gives us a choice. And you should be thankful for that choice because if, if we didn't have choices this morning, then we're, then we're robots. We're just forced to do everything. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus said this. He says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. And that, that is Him. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So Jesus is that narrow gate. Watch this. The highway to hell is what? It's broad. And its gate is wide for the many who do what? Who choose. Everybody say that. Say, who choose. That way. God God doesn't send people to hell. People choose the path that leads to destruction. Now, people don't choose hell. No one is going to be presented with hell and say, you want that? No, I don't want that. They don't choose hell itself, but they choose the path that leads to hell. They choose the path that leads to destruction. Every path has a destination. I've I've taught on this. There's a book by Andy Stanley. I encourage you to get it. It's called The Principle of the Path. Every path has a destination. And regardless of who gets on that path, you're going to end up where that path leads every single time. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how little money you have. It doesn't matter what your last name is or, or what school you went to, how much education that you have. It doesn't matter. If you get on that path and follow that path, you're going to end up where that path leads every single time. That's the principle of the path. The principle of the path says everyone who gets on this path and follows this path is going to end up where this path leads. People don't choose hell, but they choose the path Jesus said the way that leads to destruction. People are in hell today because they rejected Jesus and chose their own way. Narrow is the gate that leads to God's kingdom. Narrow is the gate straight and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And few there be that find it. But broad is the gate and wide is the path that leads to destruction and many choose that way because this is what we're up against today we have we have God's standard and we have man's standard we have we have God's way and we have man's way or the you could call it the way of culture and I'm here to tell you after reading that verse the longer that I live it just seems to me like the wider and wider that gate to destruction gets it's like our culture is just i mean how far from god can we get you have seen the progression i'm not here to preach about this but you've seen the progression over your lifetime just from the shows that are on tv today compared to what was allowed to be on tv years ago the music that we hear the commercials that we hear the commercials that we see the the i mean it, it's it's crazy it's wicked it's evil and it's the path to destruction And there's many people who are following it, thinking that it's okay. You know, love wins in the end. Just, just love. It doesn't matter. Just follow your heart. When the Bible tells us that your heart is one of the most deceptive of all things, you need to lead your heart, not follow your heart. And you lead your heart by getting in the Word of God. This, this book will stand the test of time. It says the earth may wither and the flowers may fade, but the word of God will stand forever. This is what we're going to be judged by. We're not going to stand before God and say, Well, you know, I didn't believe the Bible, because I mean it was written, you know, thousands of years before I even walked the earth, and I thought it was out of date. No, oh, this doesn't go out of date. It's God's word. It's God breathed. It's 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 the very breath of God. It's Jesus. The word was made flesh. And dwelled among us. My point this morning is this is what we have to live by. And this word that I just opened up this morning and taught you, it talks about this, this place called hell that is very real. It's not imaginary. It's not something that's made up to scare people. It's very real. But understand this morning, it was never created for us. It was created to deal righteously with sin. It was created for the devil and his demons. But if we reject God, that's where we end up. It's a place of suffering. It's a place of eternal punishment. It's a place where our fate will be forever sealed. There's no coming back. And I guarantee you, if you could interview people in hell right now, they would tell you how real that hell is. And how they wish that they would have lived their life differently. And how they wish they wouldn't have been so focused on money and so focused on materialistic things and so focused on, 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 on moving their up the ladder. In life, but they would have been more focused on not only living their life for Jesus Christ, but telling as many people about the love of God as possible. And this message this morning is for all of us. It's for all of us this morning. It's not just for unbelievers, but it's for us as believers as well, so that we will have an urgency about us to win our lost family members, to tell them about Jesus. No one wants to hear about hell, but I think every now and then it's, it's okay to bring it up. To let people know there are consequences. We do it in other other form of life. I mean, if some of our kids are near a stove and they're young, we we'll say, don't touch that because here's what happens when you touch it. You're, you're going to get burned and it's going to hurt. We, we don't tell people about that. I know there's a way to do that, but we don't, we're not telling people about their consequences. And I believe that, that the Lord is has allowed me to do this series this, this month to, to prepare our hearts for eternity. We should be making preparation for eternity. Where will you spend eternity? There's only, there's only one of two places that we can spend eternity. If you believe in Jesus Christ, accept Him in your heart and, and, and live your life by His standards, when you die, you're immediately in the presence of the Lord forever. All eternity you're going to be with the Lord. All will be good. But if you reject the Lord and say no to Him, and no to His plan for your life, when you die, regardless of what you have believed while you're upon this earth, hell will be very much a reality to you. And it will be a place of eternal suffering. Eternal suffering. But this morning, the good news is, is that you're not dead. You're still alive. And regardless of what you've done, how bad that you've messed things up in your past. Jesus Christ loves you today and He went to the cross so that you could spend eternity with Him. I want you to bow your heads this morning and and close your eyes. And I want to pray over you today. Heavenly Father, I thank You so much, Lord, for this time that we could open up the Word of God and hear a very, very difficult um, teaching on... on, um, on hell, Lord. No one likes to talk about it. It's very, un- it's uncomfortable, Lord, for me to even preach on it because I know that that people don't want to hear it. They don't want to talk about it. But God, the reality is, Lord, that that we need to talk about this, so that people understand the weight and the consequences of their choices, the weight and the consequence of rejecting Jesus. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone that's in this room today who doesn't know you, who who hasn't given their life to you, who's not following their way. That, Lord, that person today that's choosing their own path and thinking that it's cool and thinking that it's, it's fun and making life all about them. God, I pray that this morning that, that this message would be a, a wake-up call. That it would be a very sobering truth to them this morning, God, that they would see that, they're, that they're, one day there will be consequences to them rejecting you. I pray that, Lord, before that it's too late, that they would acknowledge you as the Lord and Savior of their life, that they would repent of their sins and they would turn to you to be forgiven. And God, for us that are in the room today who are believers, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, motivate us and stir our hearts, Lord, to reach our lost loved ones. God, help us imagine that, that they are this rich man in this story. And that if we don't reach them, Lord, that this will be their fate. God, give us that urgency to reach out to them and to win them. Give us the wisdom, Lord, on how to reach them. Give us the grace, Father, and the words to say and and, uh, the, the things, Lord, that we can do, Lord, to win their heart to You. We thank You for this day, God, and we just ask that You would be with each one of us and help our hearts to always be tuned to You. In Jesus' name.